Okay, it's another Dostazopod. Am I going to play Sugar Ray songs in this episode? I'm not going to tell you. Maybe it'll be a surprise. Maybe I won't. Who knows? But we're here. It's Dostazopod. Let's go. Okay, really strong showing for the drop earlier this week. I'm very impressed. The Rex Gannon uh, trade paperback or uh, graphic novel uh, sale was good. It was small. You know, I think there is a limited scope to how many people actually buy comic books versus buy action figures. Um, Conversely, we also sold out of Rex and Vaughn pretty early on, so there wasn't a ton of new stuff for people to get. I was sort of thinking that because this drop was just material styles and sort of, you know, some some character-driven releases, but largely just accessories and pieces to kind of augment what you guys already have, I wasn't anticipating that big of a turnout, honestly. Plus, we don't have nailed down what the next stimulus is going to be, and I think that that plays into people's open money that they can spend. Um, but I was wrong. You guys really you hit the sale hard. Um, for a non-new figure, I think we broke a couple records here. This was pretty intense. Uh, I am happy that pretty much everything was still in stock 30 minutes afterwards. I think we've talked about this before. You know, what is the right amount? Is selling out instantly good? Is having something, you know, exist for a year or more good? And my thinking was sort of like, yeah, if something hangs around for the first hour, that's probably the sweet spot. We did about 30 minutes before things started selling out. And, um, you know, I, I, not ideal, but I think overall pretty good. So let's get started. We're going to hop to our buddy, Lance Tomimoto. He's got quite a few questions. I'm going to uh, try to condense these all into one long thread. Oh, man, there's a lot of them. Lance, why do you do this to me? Okay, so starting first... Glow in the dark or translucent figures, which do I prefer? I prefer translucent. You are very limited in the color palette for glow in the dark. And, you know, I don't know. Glow in the dark, like, it's it's gimmicky, whereas translucent, you can do a lot with that, I think. Um, Last time I asked, what was your favorite colorway for Vector Jump? And I said, Royal, what is my favorite colorway for Classic Knight, for Rift Killer, for Old Knight? Device Ninja, Saima, Radic, and Hackerman. Let me see if I can check these off. For Rift Killer, um, I guess Death Worshipper. For Old Knight, probably Pike. Device Ninja, hmm, maybe Lilac Device Ninja. Saima, it hasn't been released yet. Uh, Radic. Hasn't been released yet. And Hackerman hasn't been released yet. So the last three, I can't really answer at this time. If I have to pick from things that have been released and being careful not to spoil anything, I guess um, favorite current Saima style, I guess Forest. Um, favorite Radic of what's been released. I think Street Radic is pretty damn cool. I, I find myself gravitating towards that. Quite a bit. And then Hackerman, that's been released at Montana Midnight. That's an easy one for sure. Um, 
In the pre-sugar days, what was my favorite candy? I actually talk and fantasize about this a lot. Uh, there's a lot I really liked. There was a time uh, when I worked at a party supply store, and I was so fucking broke, I would steal Snickers bars for dinner and eat them in the break room or in the bathroom. And I subsided off of that because I just, you know, was working minimum wage back then, which I think was $5.15. And uh, I had no money. So uh, I do have a soft spot for that. Lion bars are very good. I don't know if those are big here in the States. I got hooked on those when I used to travel to Europe a lot. Very big candy bar over there. Um, I could go on and on. There's so many good ones. But I think, like, if you're looking to make a meal out of a candy bar, you can't do better than a Snickers. Because uh, that actually has peanuts, which have some level of nutrients. <laughs> uh, but uh, obviously it's being drowned in sugar. Also, uh, runner-up, Choco Taco. Hell yeah, man. Big time. Uh, Lord of the Rings or Hobbit Trilogy? That's a silly question. Lord of the Rings. Hobbit Trilogy is atrocious. Since we're almost the same age, what's my opinion on Sky Commanders? Uh, I love that line. Although I agree with you, it is hard to keep the ropes from being tangled. Um... Da, 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 considering, uh, well, this parlays into a different question, so I'll, I'll get to that in just a bit. Um, moving along to Gabriel Tovar. What sort of weakness does Hackerman have? I recall you mentioning that they're quite formidable and dangerous, especially for Radic. Is it possible to take one head-on, or would it require some extra steps, such as having some sort of extra assistance or knowing a sort of exploit? So, in my mind, the, the Hackerman sort of function and move a lot like the T-800 in the first Terminator movie. In that they are not indestructible, but pretty damn near that, right? And not somebody you want to sort of tango with. Now, you know, small arms fire will slow them down. You could potentially blind one, I suppose, with a well-placed 22 round. If you got a nice little bolt action that... You keep clean before and after you use it. Hangs on the wall. It's beautiful. It's glistening. Sure, it's got wear and tear, but that's because it's got history. It's over a hundred years old. And this baby will be putting bullets dead center every time. Never jamming because it's bolt action. You gotta love it. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I think of them as sort of like the T-800. And so... Um, I would approach attacking them in that manner, which is to say, if I encountered a Hackerman in real life, I would run the fuck away. Um, there will be a very in-depth look at their strengths, their weaknesses, and what it takes to kill one of them in the long gestating Turbo Atoll, which, by the way, guys, we've hit a major milestone on. And my hat's off to the artist, Ian Amling. We have completed the first rough draft of Turbo Atoll. It is clocking in at an impressive 76 pages. So it's even longer than Rex Scannon graphic novel. Um, I am profoundly excited to get to draft two. I'm excited to see this work in color. Uh, I don't know when we're gonna have it finished. It may end up being a 2021 release. If that's the case, I will figure out some way to serialize it and get 
chapter releases sort of out to you guys because I got a lot of figures that are designed already for Turbo Atoll and I want to make sure that uh, they get released and have content to go alongside that. So um, very exciting time. Moving along to Philip Barrara, what's my most treasured vinyl record and the story behind it? His is Silverstein's Rescue from 2011, signed by frontman Shane Told from Boise 2014. Um, I don't have a record player, and I only have one vinyl record, but it is very special to me, and there is a story behind it. I may have told this before. Uh, Virgin Megastore used to exist, and there was one in Union Square. I believe this was my first year in New York City, probably the first summer there. And there was an artist called St. Vincent who was doing a signing for her new album, and I made her a painting, and I waited in line. I was number two or three, and uh, presented her the painting. She seemed very flustered. I was very nervous, and she signed her album, and uh, there's probably an image of me floating in the inner interweb somewhere with me holding it and smiling but um i did attach my business card to the back of the painting she did not call me or reach out afterwards i'm not sure how i feel about that but as you can see i've had all these tremendous brushes with truly top tier celebrities whether it's mark mcgrath from sugar ray or annie clark from st vincent so that is uh my only and my treasured vinyl record and the story behind it. I really don't like how Anchor handles the songs that are, act as interstitials here. I, I know it's very jarring. I wish they would just have like a two second fade in and fade out. It would be so much better. They also seem to sort of start songs at a very awkward part. Um, I I hope that's a feature in the future because it, in going and listening back to make sure I haven't said anything objectionable, um, I don't want to get arrested by the thought police. I do notice that the, the music interludes are very jarring and uh, I have no control over that. So blame Anchor. Anyway, moving along, we got a couple of Sean questions. Sean Gordon is first. When you're in the workshop and surrounded by all the figures and items that haven't been announced or released, how hard is it to keep all of the hard work and cool stuff a secret? Um, that's probably the least fun part of my job. Um, now I do have a little bit of release because I have, you know, a close group of two or three people that I've known my whole life that I will send little sneaks to and get their input on. And, and that helps. And then, of course, Dowdy sees everything, knows everything. So uh, I'm not entirely isolated in my ability to talk about stuff that hasn't been released to the public yet, but it is a consideration. Um, also, the greater danger is that I talk about styles or figures that I haven't announced yet, because to me, these all exist. They're all here. And I sometimes uh, do not keep good track of what is and is not out. Moving along to our second Sean, Sean Houlihan. Elegy 1 was a great read and raised a lot of questions. My main one is, what was the hazmat suited nurse based on? Uh, that was just like a quick rough drawing I did in the sketchbook a while back. I needed something that sort of fit that bill, so I kind of um, resurrected that little drawing. Um, but I think it's cool, you know, it, it's not much more than that. 
Moving along, we got Justin Doak. Any potential Frankenstein, Frankenslice pieces you just can't find a use for it yet, like a pile of left hands in some random color, etc. Um, not, not really. And what you guys will find out is that I threw a bunch of lilac pieces, not a bunch, but I threw some extra ninja lilac pieces into your purchases for the shibboleth. And um, I hope you're, you know, you'll enjoy those. I guess that the, the lilac stuff was probably what you're describing. Other than that, I, it's, it's kept pretty tight. Um, I have like 30 of a lot of pieces, and I think that you know I, I will just eventually piece together a new Frankenslice creation. But um, overall, you know, I think it's being managed pretty well. And I don't feel too distressed about the level level of uh, scrap pieces that are out there. James Davis has a good question that makes my heart ache. COVID nonsense aside, where is your ideal vacation spot and which pocket figure do you take with you? Um, You know, I think I would just go right back to that little Asia loop that I do. You know, Hong Kong, mainland China, and and Japan. Um, I think probably, you know, it's tough. I don't know, I just don't know, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get back and I don't know when I'm going to travel. Different vibes also between Hong Kong, mainland China, and Japan. I don't really like to stay over in mainland China. Um, Hong Kong I really love and I like the hotel that I used to stay at. I like that neighborhood. The problem is it's very, very hot there. It's, it it gets excruciatingly hot. but I think that's, you know, that's what I would do. I think that that would be my pick. Thomas Jante has a very interesting question with a very pedestrian answer, unfortunately. What region in the U.S. has the strongest Night of the Slice following? Is there a state that has a longer fan base that surprises you? I ask after spending most of my life in the rural south where convention shows were rare and finding fan groups was tough until the mid-2000s internet. Uh, Lance also asks, uh, considering Hawaii is the second smallest state, how does it rank with my customer base? Top 15? He knows there are at least three of his fellow Hawaiians ordering. Um, so it is exceedingly difficult to get that information from Shopify without purchasing an, a third-party app, which drives me fucking nuts. But I can tell you anecdotally, it um, it is largely... A heat map based on population density, which shouldn't surprise you. Almost everything you you sort of try to quantify usually is hotter around New York and LA, followed by Texas and, you know, places like that. Um, I have a ton of fans in Florida and a ton of fans in Texas, but those are pretty population dense places, so... I don't think that's much of a surprise. Uh, We do obviously enjoy a huge home state fan base in NYC, plenty of people in New Jersey as well. Uh, And then, as you would probably guess, Los Angeles, you know, greater California, um, not surprising there. I, I, I really would love to take a deep dive and look at that, but I'm not really anxious to pay an extra $10 a month to Shopify for a third party app, which historically cause more problems than they sort of solve within this uh this platform jesse zimmerman 
has a question about something I hadn't thought about in a very long time. Do I think we'll ever see a return of the 3D printed bubble vest? Um, man, I had forgotten all about that, that item. Uh, I don't think it's going to make a comeback until I fix my 3D printer, which I have been procrastinating on big time. I also haven't had a ton of spare time in which to do that. So, um, I don't know. I, I Until I fix the printer, probably not. Um, at one point, it was kind of a contender to be a tooled item, but I don't really see the runway for that happening anytime soon. I have much more compelling things that I would like to sort of get into, uh, you know, um, tooling and production before long. So um, it's a fun item. I, it's not one that is sort of complete in my mind anyway, but uh, I'll have a think on it. Heading over for a little bit to some Facebook questions, Ultras Baltard says, Will we see the Queen Bee's capsule anytime soon? My good friend, how do you know we haven't seen the capsule already? The comic book is in black and white. There's no way to ascertain if this is a style that's already been released that has a new, profound history in its tale. Who's to say? Moving along to Chris Warner, what's my favorite version of the TMNT cartoon? Uh, there is only the original, as far as I'm concerned. I've dabbled with some of the other cartoons amongst the years, you know, watched an episode or two, seen the movies, the CGI ones, and... Uh, you know, I'm just a, I'm an OG fan. I'm stuck in that moment of time. Uh, I don't know that there will ever be something that appeals to me quite in the same way. Uh, I would also say the best episode is the fifth turtle when they had Zack who wanted to join the Ninja Turtles. Um, that was the only VHS turtles episode I had because it was a free, uh, giveaway at Burger King. And so I watched that a hundred times. I just could not get enough of it. And I really wanted to be Zack. I wanted to hang out with the Ninja Turtles and, you know, make my own masks. I guess in some respects, the character of Teal kind of plays off of that idea. They even sort of look alike and have their own homemade costumes of the characters they emulate. I, I actually had not connected those synapses until right now, but... Um, I think that's uh, that's part of where the idea came from. Philip Barrara, least favorite Hollywood trend, whether an overused trope or a trend that lasted for a time. Uh, I have to agree with the great Matt Chrisman on this one. Digital uh, effects on gun muzzle blasts are the absolute worst thing that's ever happened. Um, he's done quite a bit of research into this phenomenon. Um, you know it subconsciously, if not consciously, when you see it. Uh, they are not using live ammunition um, hardly at all anymore. With I think probably Tarantino is one of the only people that is still using real guns uh, and you know sort of blank firing and using squibs and things like that. Um, the the problems are a ton. You know it's a myriad of reasons why they don't use them. They have to have additional insurance to have real firearms on set. Um, they require very specific technicians and union workers to oversee 
those effects. It's incredibly expensive. Uh, actors have died utilizing these. Uh, most famously is probably Brandon Lee, who had uh, a malfunctioning blank that lodged um, a projectile in him, and he died. So, you know, I think that that's... Um, it's a dying art form, and it's really sad, and, and I can see it a mile away in these shows, and it just sucks the air out of these productions. Um, the m most recent film I saw that had it was Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Um, it was just... A, and it was an egregious, egregious use of that technology because it was so bad and jarring. Um... I think that's probably the worst trend, and I, I don't see it getting better anytime soon. If I were to make a second toy pizza production hub, this is a question from Mike Johnson, by the way, or had to move the current one to due to external forces, to which city or state would I consider moving it to? So there's sort of two different hubs going on here, right? There's the manufacturing hub overseas in China, and then there's my sort of assembly line, too, where I put together a lot of these figures and kit bashes and Frankenslices and things like that. Um, I will fight tooth and nail to keep my hub here on my premises as long as humanly possible, especially considering we're going to be looking at a lot more future uh, shutdowns. And if all of my product had been in a third-party fulfillment center, as I had sort of planned to do uh, late last year, I would have been screwed big time. So, uh, I'm going to try to keep my, I, I think I will always have some form of fulfillment and assembly line set up on my premises. That may be sort of helped by a second location that gets the bulk of, you know, my inventory and holds it and does fulfillment, but I'm always going to have, I need to keep the ability to ship things myself as we you know, embark on this next chapter of having a, a completely raucous sort of economy for the foreseeable future. Regarding overseas manufacturing, as I've said many times before, I don't like that I have to manufacture things overseas. I'm trying to diversify my offerings so that less of my business is dependent on third world labor. One of the solutions to that is, of course, comic books, which people seem to be act reacting to very well, and we have a lot of other interesting books coming out soon. Um, there may be a time when I cannot get into China. There may be a time when my factory gets closed down. Uh, the quickest pivot would be Taiwan. But if you guys are paying attention at all to the geopolitical theater that's happening in the Pacific Rim. What's happening between China and Hong Kong right now could soon be happening to Taiwan and China, as these are two satellites essentially under the rule of China and the Central Party. That's being, being very uh, broad and unnuanced in that you know, summary for you guys. Uh, there's a lot more going on beyond that, but the, just in for the sake of brevity, that's how I will uh, sort of classify it. Um, so, if it's not 
Taiwan, and it's not mainland China. Uh, personally, I would love to explore manufacturing opportunities in Singapore and Vietnam. I think those are places I've always wanted to go. They seem, uh, you know, I have friends that have been there and or lived there and had really great times. That doesn't really get around the problem of, you know, not manufacturing stuff in the United States and all of the the myriad of, you know, social ills that come along with manufacturing these goods, whether it's pollutants or, you know, human labor, human suffering. It's, it's all very problematic. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that I, I really have a full answer there, but I would say that you, you have a question that I've been asking myself a lot lately, and that is, what is the pivot? If this house of cards comes down, which it almost nearly did, you know, when China was going through their first wave, uh, what is the game plan? And I'm trying to build a business that may not be invincible to all these things that are going to continue to pop up, but maybe is a little more nimble and in anticipation for future rockiness. Mike also asks, story-wise, is Rex Gannon still the leader of the OG Knights, or is the birth of Chameleon Lime a semi-rebirth of the OG Lime and his future return as leader? These are great questions, Mike. Thank you for paying attention to the story. Uh, Rex is still in place as the de facto leader of Knights of the Slice. In fact, you guys are going to get, very shortly, a nice little bonus story. Rex goes on a date. How wonderful is that? And amongst the things he discusses is his role as a leader of Knights of the Slice currently. At a certain point, the Knights do need a new leader. It can't be Rex forever. He was only supposed to be there temporarily. And honestly, I want to get Rex and Vaughn out into the world doing other missions, especially post-Turbo Atoll, assuming both of them survive, which is not a guarantee for you guys. So I'd like to get him out of that that desk job for sure. Uh, I'm not sure if Chameleon Lime is the right entity to take over. We still have very much to explore with him. And, uh, you know, what level of, let's say, residual DNA or code he has from the original Lime character. Um, hopefully we'll get to explore that, but uh, I haven't put pen to paper in that topic. Allison Johnson, are there any plans or thoughts for another transparent Saima? Um, not off the top of my head. I, I have more Saima to release that you guys haven't seen. Uh, but I will say for the first time in probably six months or so, I know what I want my next new Saima design to be. And it's been a very long time since I had that bolt of lightning that really informed me of uh, what would be a compelling character for her. So I got that. I know what I want to do. Um, it's going to be probably some time until I order a new wave of figures. But when I do, I'm going to throw that in there. And that should be a lot of fun. So... Um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm not going to share it right now, though.
Just wanted to add to an earlier question from James Davis. I realized I missed the second part of your query. He asked my ideal vacation spot, and then he asked, what pocket figure do I take with me? So I have a process in which uh, when I'm traveling, which I'm obviously not doing anymore, won't be doing for the foreseeable future, but typically I would take with me whatever an upcoming Night of the Slice figure is that I haven't released yet and that I haven't done photography for. And that sort of, one, gives me time with the character to be inspired for any stories I might want to write about it. And two, it also gets me into a new setting where I may be able to sort of set him up and and take some interesting photos to use in the the marketing for a figure. So uh, there you have it. Moving to Facebook questions, um, Lance Tomimoto has some more. I did already answer the obscure Marvel character question. I will answer what obscure DC character am I hoping for in the Spin Master fig line. Um, I'd like to see them do a a Scarecrow figure. Um, I like the... uh, I've always just liked Scarecrow action figures for some reason. It's such a cool character, and he typically has a sort of skinnier frame, and there's been some really interesting ones over the years. So I think that that, without putting too much thought into it, is probably my immediate answer. Rounding out our Facebook questions is Gabriel Tovar with thoughts on the Masters of the Universe origin toys. Do I plan on getting any? Um, yeah, I I do. Um, so I got to check out that two-pack they did at San Diego Comic-Con. Was that two years ago? Three years ago at this point? I don't even remember. Uh, when I went and visited Matt Dowdy, he had that, and I got to check out the figures, and I really liked them. And... So when I saw that the WWE Masters of the Universe crossover figures were available, I bought a set of those because they are the same body type. And uh, I like the figures. They're fun. You know, it's a incremental spin on a line. Like, it's not reinventing anything. It's not terribly uh, original. Um, you know, for me, Masters is not my line. I've never been a huge all-in sort of guy when it comes to He-Man and and the ilk. So typically, I'm going to buy two or three figures in any wave, um, and then that's it. I I lose interest pretty quick. You know, with the sort of Mattel collector stuff, um, actually, I have quite a bit of that, but uh, was not really an active collector beyond the first couple releases. With Super 7 stuff, uh, same same deal. You know, I have a few of the Super 7 figures. Their actual, their movie line is probably the best He-Man series that's ever been done with the Dolph Ludgren figure and, and all of the great William Stout um, designs and Mobius designs. Um, and then, like, the Super 7 animation, I have one or two of those figures. Um, so I, I don't see myself getting very deep into this line. I do feel like we're getting right back to that buy the same shit all over again mentality of uh, these toy companies. You know, I, I think pretty quickly they're they're going right back to, hey, just keep buying the same character. Maybe it's a inch or half inch shorter or taller. And, um, you know, this is just a cycle that'll kind of repeat. So it's not the most exciting thing to me. I will be picking up a few of them. And uh, other than that, you know, I dread uh, all the re-releases that that are in our future. 
Now, I have a question for you guys. Do you refrigerate your condiments? Do you want your ketchup chilled? Do you keep your mustard cold? Or do you leave them out in the counter or in the pantry? This is a, a, a truly a, a stunning question, but I think it's very telling about your inner psyche. So let me know in the comments. Heading back to Patreon for some final questions. We got two from Lance Tomimoto. Favorite Ultraman? Uh, I don't know the names of the Ultraman. Uh, I, I guess I sort of like the guy with horns, if that makes sense. Also, what did I think of the Hasbro Masters line about five to seven years ago? They came out with Jurassic Park, Transformers, Marvel. I was fascinated by the interchangeability and bought a lot on clearance in Ross. This was a couple of years before I discovered Glyos. Glyos did it a hundred times better, but they were a lot of fun. So I only have one of these figures. It's, um, I think I've posted a photo on the Instagram. It is a uh, test shot and it has a lot of clear and bright colored pieces. It's sort of mismatched. And I was drawn to the sort of random color scheme of the test shot, so I bought it. Um, I don't really like this line. You know, in playing with it, they sort of, you can't really articulate the limbs because they pop out of the joints as they're meant to. But that means that it's not really a sort of solid construction or, you know, it's sort of the worst of both worlds. It's not great interchangeability, and it's not great playability, so you're left with something that's kind of mediocre. In terms of the aesthetics and the styling, you know, it just feels like sort of rehashed, warmed over, you know, Joe Matariera, 1990s uh, angular blockiness that um, just sort of got absorbed by all designers that grew up during that era and then regurgitated over and over and over again. And it's still sort of happening to this day <laughs> um and you know that's a style that i think we just need to get away from and, and forget about finally our last two patron questions brett lawson have i thought about doing a two-tone zoner capsule with a blue chrome top uh bottom silver chrome wheels black i'm just excited about all the possibilities of turbo atoll will we see driver and capsule bundles so to answer the last question first, yes, I have some fantastic capsule and driver bundles. I'm very excited to get this out to you guys. Um, just need to have some supplemental content to back that up. So um, I have those releases planned. They're going to be great. Um, I had not thought about doing sort of mismatched zoner capsules. I think theoretically it could work. Although blue chrome doesn't really exist. Um... What it is is a silver electroplating with then a pigment over it. Uh, sometimes it's a sort of like clear acrylic spray that's going on top. Um, my capsule assembly line really hate doing colored chrome. They'll do chrome in gold and silver, but they really, really hate doing the, the colored version. So um, I don't know what the the future is for capsules. Uh, eventually, I will get to doing painted styles of them, but the capsules are a, an ancillary item. They're not the bread and butter of what I sell, and their sales reflect that. You know, not everybody buys capsules. They hang around for a very long time. They also happen to take up a lot of room, and I'm pleased with the sales of capsules. They have shown a decent return on my investment in them, but they are not hot sellers. They very rarely sell out. 
So that knowledge paired with the fact that I have more of uh, Capsule Version 1 and Capsule Version 2 that have not been released yet, that I'm waiting for the release window on, means that their future really depends on how these next couple, couple styles sell. So if you guys love capsules, make sure you buy every subsequent release for them. Because, um, you know, I've sort of paid for the tooling. I've made my money back. They're, they're fair to medium sellers. I don't know how aggressive I'm going to be in the future on capsules. And I also don't know, are they going to be worth the investment of spray masks, which is what you would have to pay to have fabricated in order to do painted styles. So, you know, without being too critical of these items, I would say that there is a reflection point on the horizon for them. And I will sort of piece together, you know, what, if any, the future ones will look like after we get through these uh, handful of new styles that you guys haven't seen yet. And our final question comes from Gavin Rader. Do I have any word when the updated Radic tooling will go into production, when it might hit the store? So Radic, like pretty much every figure, undergoes tooling updates, tweaks. Sometimes heads get swapped out, accessories get swapped out, new accessories are uh, put into that mold. This happens to almost every figure over a long enough time. So Radic is going, th- he's under the knife, he's going through some surgery right now. Um, the problem is, from a customer standpoint, you may or may not know when you have an updated version of Radic. Reason being is, I still have styles of Radic that I have not released yet from the first wave of production. So what may happen is, the next Radic release may be from wave one, the following Radic after that may be from wave two, and, you know, then it may revert back to a wave one figure. So it's going to be sort of start and stop in some, in some regards. There's not really going to be a, a, a date you could mark on the calendar where, okay, from this point on, we'll never see, uh, you know, Radic version one again. I mean, we will get to that date, but it may not be as apparent because these releases are going to sort of be staggered between wave one and wave two. I can't say I am excited for the uh, pretty fundamental changes that are going to happen to Radic. Uh, I don't want to say much more than that because it will ruin the surprise, but um, it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm definitely looking forward to it. So with that, I have answered all of your questions and I beg you release me from this contract of me speaking to the queries you've presented. I have a life to live. I have a dog to feed. And I have orders to pack. So I'm going to leave you guys with the words we always say. Pizza out.